I am a, what you call a news junkie. I'm always uh, watching the news. I've slowed down a little bit because my wife doesn't like me watching the news all the time. But uh, I'll watch the news. I'll read about the news. I'm trying to get, you know, what's going on in the world. You know, I, I want to know what's happening and, uh, so that I can understand the times better and, and know how to present the Word of God in those times that we live in. And if you watch anything about the news, you know, they'll come up with a news story or a news flash, and they will give you the news, and then they will always bring in an expert to give you their take on what the news means. Okay, this is the way you understand this. This is how we interpret that. And an expert is always somebody expert in that field, and then he will give you his expertise on that particular subject. Uh, sometimes those experts are slanted to one viewpoint over another viewpoint, and it's left up to us to decipher what's really being said and how to understand it. Uh, but that's the way, way the, the news cycles work today. And I've often wondered how the news would have reported the day of Pentecost. I wonder if the Jerusalem News would have had that on their headline, or if the, the Festival Broadcast uh, News Network, or the Jubilation News Network, if they would have televised, if they would have talked about the power uh, revealed that day, and if they would have had experts in the area to interpret or to explain to us exactly what happened. Probably not, but unfortunately, we don't have to worry about the news networks uh, helping us understand it. We have a perfectly inspired text that tells us what happened and helps us understand what happened on the day when the power of the Holy Spirit descended upon the early church. Today, we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, as we continue through this series of great expectations. You know that God has great expectations for the church. But he also has great expectations for you as an individual. So we're going to look at these words today and see what happened on the day of Pentecost. What does the day of Pentecost mean? More importantly, what does the arrival of the Holy Spirit mean to you and me? What does it mean to us as a church today? So you follow along in your copy of God's Word as we look at Acts chapter 2, 1 through 13, under the heading, What Does the Presence of the Holy Spirit Mean? Luke writes, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Did you hear that? Fix up on that theme we had last week. They were together. They were all together in one place. Do you get the point? They were there. Somebody wasn't absent that day. They were all there. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this 
mean. Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. What does this mean? We want the experts to tell us. What does this mean? Help us understand this situation. And as we examine the text, we'll see that there's three events that happen on this day, and each one has a symbolic meaning. Each one means something for us today. The presence of the Holy Spirit first means we have received power. The presence of the Holy Spirit means that we have received power. Look at verse 2 again. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Notice that they heard a sound. They did not feel the wind. They heard the sound of wind. They didn't feel anything. They just heard the sound of the wind. But Luke is clear, it originated in heaven and then it filled the room where they were. But it wasn't an ordinary wind that they heard. It was a wind of, of volatile force. It was a, a, a violent wind. We could say it was a, a wind of, of tornado force. Any of you that have been in an area that's a, a tornado prone, you know it's violent. It's, it's a roaring sound, almost like a train coming. It's so loud and so dominating. And, and we know that that type of wind can destroy everything in its power, in its, for, in its way. Whole houses can be leveled. Whole cities can be demonstrated. You know, Waco experienced that back in the 50s. Uh, it devastated downtown Waco. It was a powerful, violent wind. This is the kind of sound that they heard. This is the type of sound these early believers heard. But Luke is clear, this sound originated in heaven and it descended upon the believers in that room when they were all together. And it signifies to us the Spirit's power. Every follower in that room heard the sound of this violent wind. The sound of the wind means that we have received power to accomplish what God would have us do. That power descended upon every one of them to give them the power to do what needed to be done. It was not something that was given to them for them to accomplish on one day. But it was something for them to to have for sustaining power. Something that would, would keep them going. Let me see if I can explain it like this. If you were to take 10 gallons of gasoline and just light a match to it, it would cause a tremendous explosion, exciting explosion. However, if you took that same 10 gallons of gasoline and you put it in my old Malibu out there and you filled it up, I could go about 250 miles on a tank of gas, on that 10 gallons. I'd get about 25 miles a gallon. I could go 250 miles. Now, we could light the 10, 10, 10 uh, gallons of gasoline and get an exciting explosion that would last momentary, or we could take it, put it in our gas tank, and have sustaining power for a longer haul. Now, flashes in the pan can sometimes be beautiful, but you want to make a difference in the world over the long haul. You just don't want to be a, a flash in a pan. You, you want to, to do something exciting over the long haul. Listen, 
You don't want the Holy Spirit just to save you and send you to heaven. You want the Holy Spirit to come into your life and transform your life over the long haul. That's what you're wanting. You're wanting the Holy Spirit to transform you so that you can live in the kingdom of God, so that you can do what God has asked you to do. You want him to transform you for kingdom purposes. You want the Holy Spirit operating in your life every day for the long haul is what you want. God has great expectations for his church. He had great expectations for these early believers. And the power, uh, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit was given to them to accomplish the great commission. It was given to them to fulfill the purpose, to fulfill the mission that God had given to them. What was that? Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses when you receive power. You will be. He didn't say you, you, you will be my witnesses when you feel like it, when you want to do it. He said you will be my witnesses when you receive the power. It, was a, it had a purpose. It had a task about it. Within us, Within this body of believers, God has given the power to fulfill the Great Commission. He's given it to us. That's why one of the things we're hoping to do this new year is to move to a ministry team concept. I'm throwing a lot of information your way. You're going to be hearing a lot about it the next few months. We're going to a ministry team concept where we want everybody in our church involved in some form of ministry in the church. Why is that? Because we believe... We believe that's the best way for us to accomplish the great commission that God has given to us. I know some of you are scared to death about that. Some of you are already shaking in your boots. Well, I, I, I can't do any ministry. I don't think God has gifted me to do that. But I want you to know something, my friends. I have faith in you. I have faith in you because I know living within you is the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe the Holy Spirit can use you. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to use you. And I believe that the Holy Spirit will use you. So what we want to do is create an environment, create opportunities for you to, to do ministry. But also we want to open the book and allow you to form a ministry that God has specifically gifted you for. We want to move from the committee format into more of a ministry team format to enable people to use their gifts in the service of the king. Because we want, to, we want to fulfill the Great Commission. And I'm so glad that God gave us the power. I'm so glad that, that that sign, that sound was given to us. Because without the Holy Spirit, we could not carry out the Great Commission. We couldn't do it. That's why he said, you can't do it until you get the power. So that sound that, the, that they heard is, a sound, is symbolizing the power that God has given to us as individuals, but to us as a church, to fulfill the Great Commission. Second, the presence of the Holy Spirit means we have been purified by God. Look at verse 3. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Notice that it wasn't fire, but it seemed to be fire. It looked like fire. That, that's the best way that they could describe it. It was something like a fire. What does it mean? What does this fire mean? The fire symbolizes the purifying and cleansing work of the Holy Spirit. 
Fire is the ultimate purifying agent. When you take precious metal, you burn it through the fire and you burn off the dross. It burns off the impurities that are within that element, that precious metal, gold, silver, whatever it is. If you go back to the Old Testament days, to the tabernacle and then later to the temple, the first thing they had to do when they go in the tabernacle, the first thing they had to do in the temple was offer a burnt offering to God. That's the first thing they had to do. They couldn't proceed to the next step until they offered a burnt offering. And that burnt offering, that fire, was a, bur a purifying agent to allow them to take the next step. But they had to be purified of that. Until this offering was accomplished, they could not do what needed to be done. So on the day of Pentecost, God descends, the Holy Spirit descends upon them, purifying them for the task. Now notice something interesting here. The whole group heard the sound, but the fire appeared on each individual. Each one saw the fire on the other person. Why is that? Because each person must be purified. There is no corporate purification when it comes to God. Each person has to be purified by the cleansing work of the Holy Spirit. Each person has to experience that. It's personal. That's exactly what happens when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. The minute you come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit purifies your life. He purifies your heart. He doesn't do it for a family. He doesn't do it corporately. He does it for you individually. What's the purpose? What is the purpose of this cleansing? What is the purpose of this purifying? What is the purpose of making you acceptable? I think there's, a, there's lots of purposes, but there's at least two purposes that fit. The first one is... So the Holy Spirit can take up residence in your life. That's the first reason. He purifies you so the Holy Spirit can take up residence in your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul writes this. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Now listen, if the Holy Spirit's going to come and live in your life, he's got to clean the junk out. He's got to clean the sin. He's got to purify you so that he can take up residence in your life because where sin is, God cannot be. So the Holy Spirit serves as a purifying agent of your life so the Holy Spirit can come and then dwell in your life. But there's a second reason for the purification. The purification is also so that you become set apart by God for his purposes. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this, I urge you, brothers... I urge you, sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So it's a God's way of purifying us, of cleansing us so that we can serve Him. That's what the presence of the Holy Spirit is all about. The Holy Spirit is God's way of empowering us to accomplish his mission, but it also is his way of saying that I have accepted you to do my commission. You're an accepted agent. It, it, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like God has reached down and personally ordained you for the task. He said, I have placed my fire upon you. I have placed my cleansing upon you. You are accepted. You are available you are my chosen agent to do 
this. Stop and think about that. Just for a moment. The creator of the universe who does not need anything. He is self-sufficient, self-sustaining. He does not need us. But yet, he says, I've appointed you. I've chosen you to do my task. Wow. Wow. And those of you that don't think you're worth anything, this just says you are. God says you are worth it. You are acceptable. You are purified. You are cleansed. And I have chosen you for a specific task. You've been set apart for God's word. Listen, we are not holy because we choose to be holy. We are holy because God makes us holy. It's not our choice. It's his choice. And he makes us holy. And if God chooses to make us holy, then he chooses us for a purpose. The Holy Spirit is God's proof of acceptance of you and of me to accomplish his tasks. Notice in the passage, each individual was purified. Each one of them had the fire to send upon them. No one was excluded. No one was left out. It didn't come back later, oh man, I didn't get that. I mean, it didn't come down on me. Everyone that was in that room, when they were all together in one place, they all heard the wind and they all saw the Spirit descend upon each one of them. Listen, the Holy Spirit has not changed. The Holy Spirit that descended that day, He's the same Holy Spirit today. And guess what? The message has not changed. The task has not changed. It's the same God, the same Holy Spirit. And if he descended upon them for a reason, guess what? He's descended upon you for a reason as well. Third truth. The presence of the Holy Spirit means we have a message to proclaim. Look at verse 4. All of them, remember, they were all together in one place. They all saw the, saw, heard the wind. They all saw the presence. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, this is a little bit more controversial. Uh, this, well, let me put it this way. Some people make this controversial. After today, you're going to see it's not controversial, okay? Uh, some people make this controversial. They make this passage say more than it says. Let's just let the Word of God speak. Let's just see what it actually says in this passage as we look at it. It says here that they began to speak in other tongues. Uh, we know actually what it is as they began to speak in unknown tongues. Look down at verse 11. It says, in verse 4 it says they were begin to speak in other tongues. In verse 11 it says we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So what we see happening in this passage is they are speaking in, in tongues that they did not know, but not angelic language. They were speaking in the language of the people that God enabled them to speak during that time. You know, today it'd be like God enabled us to speak, you know, 
Spanish and German and, and, and Italian and, and French and, and, and street talk. No, I'm, 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 I'm talking. You know, <laughs> you know, he would enable us to, to speak languages that we previously were not able to speak. So in reality, the miracle of Pentecost is not about the ability to speak in tongues. It's about the proclamation of the gospel. God says, I'm going to break down the barriers. I'm going to break down any hindrance that keeps you from communicating the gospel to the people. And so on that one day, on that day, everybody heard the wonders of God proclaimed in their native tongue for what purpose? So they might hear the gospel. That was the, re that was the poor purpose of that God was overcoming barriers. Some people have talked about Acts chapter 2 is a breakdown of Genesis chapter 11 when God divided the world by language and now through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's uniting the world for the gospel. They were overcoming barriers to the gospel. I remember when I served in Guatemala, we were doing a large campaign, a medical clinic, a dental clinic, an eye clinic, uh, a children's ministry in this one community where we were trying to plant a church. And it's a brand new community. We'd never been there, but we were trying to plant a church. So we had this massive team come in and, and we did all that. And as our custom was, we would preach to the people before they went to the medical clinic, before they went to the dental clinic. We'd share the gospel in the medical clinic. Uh, and then we'd share the gospel when they got their, their prescriptions. So on this one particular time, I was sharing the gospel with a young woman and her mother. Now, I never was comfortable speaking Spanish. I have a hard enough time with English, uh, much less Spanish. And I, was, I struggled, I struggled. But on this particular day, I just felt compelled to share the gospel with this young lady. And I think it was the first time I ever shared the gospel fluently in Spanish. It just rolled off my tongues and I was able to say words. I didn't know where these words came from. And I was able to share the gospel about 15 minutes with this young lady. Now, she did not respond to the gospel. As a matter of fact, I asked her the question at the end of the day. At the end of the question, I said, is there any reason that you could not respond to Jesus today? And she goes, no, I can't think of any reason I can't respond. I said, would you like to do this? She goes, no, I don't want to. Now, she wanted to live in her sin is what it amounted to. Uh, but the point is, at that moment, the Holy Spirit enabled me to communicate cross-culturally with this young woman, for what purpose? So that she might hear the gospel. And I would say that anybody that's out there that's, oh, I won't go there, I won't go there. Yeah, I will, yeah, I will. Anybody out there that is saying that if you don't have the gift of tongues and you can't say prayers in angelic languages, that's for you. It ain't for the proclamation of the gospel. God doesn't need us to speak in any language. He understands us perfectly. I'm not saying it's not out there. I'm saying you better look and evaluate for what purpose you're doing it. Paul says we better get it for the edification of the church and not the edification of man. We better make sure that we got it right. The important question for us is not rather we're speaking in some angelic language that we can't understand. The important question is, is the church proclaiming the gospel across cultural, linguistic, and geographical barriers? 
That's the question that we must consider. That's the truth we need to grasp today. Did you know, my friends, especially those of us who have grown in church all of our life, did you know we, we live around a bunch of people that don't speak our language? Did you know that? I'm not talking about English. I'm talking about they don't speak our culture. They don't speak our worldview. They don't speak our lingo. And if we don't find a way to communicate the gospel to those people, we have missed an opportunity. We have got to find a way to get past our church jargon, get past our, our, our way of doing things and say, God, whatever we have to do to communicate the gospel to them, we will do it. We've got to understand this. We live in a post-Christian society. Now, uh, you can, you, you can, you can re reject that all you want, but it's the facts. We are no longer a Christian nation. We are a post-Christian nation. There's less Christians in America than there's ever been. Ever been. Now, we can choose to be an ostrich and stick our head in the sand and say, it'll go away, it'll go away, or maybe it'll just go away when I die. The fact of the matter is, every 10 years, we become less and less Christian. We have got to find a way to communicate the gospel to those out there who are lost and are perishing. What's the old song we used to sing? Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. It doesn't say preserve those who are being saved. It says rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. And we've got to find a way to take the message of Jesus Christ and do whatever it takes to win those people. The question we ask ourselves, you have to ask yourself, we have to ask ourselves as a church, are we really committed to the gospel? Are we really committed to the Great Commission? Power. Purification. Proclamation. That's what the Holy Spirit is all about. God has given us the power to accomplish the Great Commission. He's given us the task to accomplish the Great Commission. You know, we often look at a story like Pentecost and we say, I wish we could experience that again. I wish we could experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and we look for that and we long for that and, and we keep waiting and we keep waiting and we keep waiting for that to happen. And while we're waiting for that, that event to take place, we miss the significance of the moment. We spend our lives waiting and we miss what God has planned for us. Let me tell you, friends, the Holy Spirit is alive and well today. He is alive and well today. What's happened in too many of our individual lives and what has happened in too many of our churches is we have quenched the Holy Spirit. We've quenched Him. We've not allowed Him to work. For one thing, say, okay, you can only work in this parameter right here. God forbid you ever work over there. Oh, no, no, no. We, we quench the Holy Spirit. We're just like the Thessalonians. And listen, when you quench the Holy Spirit, guess what? You are dead. There is no life in you. 
few weeks ago, my wife and I was enjoying a fire in our, in our house. It was cold. And so we said, let's just check this fireplace out and see if it works. Oh, it worked. And we were enjoying the warmth. And it was a nice roaring fire. And all of a sudden, it got a little later at night. And I said, you know, I'd like to go to bed. But I still got this fire. What am I going to do? So I said, I've got to put the fire out. And so I went over there and I began breaking logs up and putting the fire out. And I got it out. You know, I noticed something when I put the fire out. I lost the light and I lost the warmth. That's the same thing that happens when we quench the Holy Spirit. We lose the light and we lose the warmth. We're dead. There's no life. We don't have the ability to provide light and we certainly don't have the ability to provide warmth because we quench the Holy Spirit. And all we become is cold and lifeless without the power of the Holy Spirit working our lives. And I believe when a church gets like that, we are disgraced to the name of Jesus Christ. Because wherever Jesus Christ lives, wherever the Holy Spirit is present, there should be power, there should be life, and there should be enthusiasm. The presence of the Holy Spirit is what prepared the early church for its mission. It's what prepared them. And listen, the same Holy Spirit is alive today. He has not changed. God has not changed. The mission has not changed. For over 2,000 years, it's been the same mission. You will. You will be my witnesses when you receive power. That's not a suggestion, by the way. That's a command. Or it's an enabling. Not only is it a command, but God says, you can't help yourself but be my witness. Man, when you receive the power, you're just going to naturally do it because you will be my witness. Now, that may take on different forms. What was it? The Francis of Assisi said, wherever you go, wherever you go, preach the gospel. If you must, use words. Everywhere you go, you ought to be a placard. You ought to be a neon sign that Jesus lives here. That means, listen, that means there's going to be some places you don't go because the Holy Spirit don't go there. There's going to be some things you don't do because the Holy Spirit don't do those things. There's going to be some things you're going to watch that you're not going to watch because the Holy Spirit won't watch those things. But you'll be a sign for Jesus. It's still the same today. In a moment, I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And then we're going to do something a little bit different. Josh and Abby are going to come up. Cassie's going to come up. Abby's going to lead us in a song. This is not for you to sing with us. I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come. And then after that, I want you to, maybe you want to come up and pray. You don't have to kneel. Maybe you want to come up and pray for the Holy Spirit to come in your life. Maybe you need to ask God to forgive you for quenching the Holy Spirit. Hey, look, I've done it. Okay, can I just, I'm, I'm a, there's been times I've quenched the Holy Spirit in my life. More times than I want to admit, because I'm not going to confess, okay? I'll confess to God, not to you, all right? 
but I know you're the same way. Maybe right where you sit, maybe you can, you can grab hands with your, your spouse. Maybe your friend sitting next to you. And together, you can do a little prayer circle and pray for the Holy Spirit to come in your life and that God will use you in a mighty way. I'm going to have you stand because if you're going to move around, you need to be able to stand and walk around. Some of you might want to come and kneel. I recognize most of us in this room are a little bit older, and sometimes when we get down, it's a little harder to get back up. That's an initiative to pray. You know, when you pray, Lord, help me get back up. Uh, so uh, you might want to do that. But you can pray right where you're at. You know, every head bowed, every eye closed, and pray. You pray, pray for your neighbor. Pray for your friend. Pray for your spouse. But I'm going to pray for our church. Father God, we come before you this morning. Well, before we even begin this time of prayer, God, we just want to honor you. Father, we adore you. We worship you. God, you could have chose anybody in the world. But Father, you chose us. We are humbled by the very fact that you, the creator of this vast universe, would look down upon each one of us and say, I call you. I call you to be my child. I call you to be my servant. I call you to be my missionary. You've cleansed us, Father. You've purified us so that we are acceptable in this task that you've given to us. But Father, we recognize in so many ways, Lord, that we are guilty of quenching the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. For whatever reason that is, Lord, only you know. Maybe, Father, it's fear. Father, maybe it's doubt, uncertainty. Father, maybe it's disobedience. You know. Father, I believe with all my heart that you're not finished with us yet. I believe, God, you have a purpose and you have a plan. And Father, in order for us to fulfill that purpose and that plan, God, we need your Holy Spirit. So Father, we pray this morning that you would stir up the fire within us. Stir up our hearts, God. Oh, Lord, don't let us quench the Holy Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit, take up habitation in our lives. We don't want to be cold. We don't want to be lethargic. We don't want to lose the light and we don't want to lose the warmth. Holy Spirit, we want to say that you're welcome here. You are welcome in our lives. You are welcome in this church. We want to sense your presence and your power and your purpose made real in our life. But Lord, more importantly, in the power of this church. This is your church. It's not our church. 
Oh, Holy Spirit, move in our lives. And we pray these things, Lord, in the power of Jesus' name, who makes all things possible by grace. It's in His name we pray.